0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. It's really great to be with you. Excited to look at God's Word with you. Let's pray one more time, ask for help as we come before His Word. Our Father, we thank You that You speak. Um, really that you do everything necessary to bring us to yourself. And uh, it's our request that as we uh, encounter your word this morning that your spirit would come again and, and speak to us again and uh, let us know more of who you are for us, what you've done for us. And I pray, God, we pray um, that we be changed. And so as we sit here, each one of us, we just uh, we open our hearts to you, Lord, and ask you to, uh, to really press in on us in a new way Uh, Show us uh, more of who you are for us and what you have for us. And help us, help it to go past just a mental knowledge, but help us, help it to sink down into the heart more and more that we might truly be changed. Uh, For your glory, we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, G.K. Chesterton is kind of a famous uh, Christian philosopher, writer, writer. And he has a quote that I really enjoy and want to share with you. So look at this quote with me. Chesterton said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and left untried. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and left untried. So, what's he saying? I hear two things. One is, it's not like somebody um, gets a taste test of Jesus and it's like, oh, I'm out of here, no good. No, the reality is, if you've really seen and encountered the Son of God, you'll find him irresistible. Uh, you, you can't walk away from him. To really, to really know him, it'll change you. So it's not like people are like, and hey, I tried Jesus, he's... He's no good. They may say that, but it's not the actual case. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. No way. There's nothing wanting in the Christian ideal. What he's saying is Jesus is enough. But he does also add, it has been difficult and then left untried. Let's be honest, it's hard to be totally devoted to Jesus uh, for those of you who are and want to be totally devoted to Jesus, do you struggle with that sometimes? Is it hard to make that happen? Uh, Jesus makes demands on us, doesn't he? They're not always easy. Um, in fact, sometimes they're incredibly hard. And we even look at our lives and we, op- we often think, do you ever think this? Am I really changing to be like Christ? Um, so, Chesterton says, it's not that the Christian ideal has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. So, in other words, for some, they'll say the, the call to following Christ or to being changed by him is, so, is too hard, so I'm, I'm out. That's what he's saying. I don't know. What do you think about that? We're in a sermon series thinking about what we've been saved to, and uh, I'm afraid sometimes people get the impression that the Christian life can be just simply nodding your head to a couple Bible, Bible verses, trying to be nice people, hit church sometimes when you can, you know, when it fits the schedule, and then that's it. A lot of people think that's, that's the Christian life in total. And then they might say, well, I tried that, it really didn't do anything for me. Nodded my head to a few ideas, went to a couple meetings, tried to, is that it? Maybe I'll move on and try something else. Like Chesterson says, they think they tried the Christian life and found it wanting, but I don't know, what do you think? Is that the Christian life? Is that the Christian life? I think that at the heart of what it means to be truly Christian is the reality of transformation. Do you agree? Is this at the heart of it? To be changed, deeply changed, fundamental change, radical change. I think it's important to realize that this change happens on two levels, two levels of change. Uh, number one is you're standing before God. Who are you before God? Uh, Jesus and his apostles are pretty honest about this, right? In our rebellion, what the Bible calls sin. Our standing before God, they use words like enemies, words like hostility, uh, strangers, separated, ugly, an ugly standing. The Bible tells us we deserve God's wrath for our sin. But Then there's the gospel, right? Remember the gospel? Good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And that gospel transforms our standing, doesn't it? Our relationship to God, how he sees us. The good news of Jesus, he's the substitute who saves us. He lived the ultimate human life. He was perfect. And he'll give that standing to you. You remember how you get it? How can you get the standing where you stand in front of a holy God and he looks at you and says, righteous, perfect, accepted, innocent. How do you get that? You just trust him. He gives it to you as a free gift. So the gospel, trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done, it changes or it transforms your standing. You go from enemy to friend. Stranger to child in a moment, in a heartbeat, by grace through faith, totally transforms your standing. Jesus paid the ultimate debt on the cross to wash away all your sins. My standing without Christ is guilty and then through Christ, just as a gift by grace, my standing through Christ is what? Forgiven. Totally forgiven. That's where it starts. That's where the transformation starts. A transformation in standing. Through Jesus, through trust in him, your whole standing before God has been totally transformed, revolutionized. Do you know that? And, and how many good deeds do you have to do to get to that, that standing? You gotta fix all your sins, go back and redo it all. You gotta live the Christian life just right for a month or two, and then the standing changes? Is that how this works? No way, no way. You didn't do anything right before your standing was changed. I did nothing but sin, and then the blink of an eye of faith in Christ, and he changes my standing. It's not based on what I've done, it's based on what he's done. Transformation, do you see it? Transformation, your whole standing before God. That's just the half of it. You know, there's a rumor. What happened after Jesus died? He rose. He rose, and the apostles proclaim, We have new life in him. This is the second area of transformation. The first was your standing. The second is, quite frankly, your experience. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your emotions, your desires, your deeds, transformed. Now, it doesn't happen as quickly as your standing transformed. You may have noticed. <laughs> you're transformed, but you're standing in an instant. Your life, your experience is transformed. Well, I'm still working that out. So are you. But there's transformation nonetheless, right? It's your experience of Christ transformed to catch up with your standing. Paul was saying, in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as beloved children. So why should you imitate God? Why be changed? Because you're already children. Be who you are. Your life transformed to be like Jesus, to love what he loves, value what he values, do what he did. And we see a piece of that transformation in our text this morning. What's verse 15 saying? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Isn't that just a great nutshell of transformation? You've really known the love of Jesus, that's first. Not just know about it, but you felt his love. And that has done something in you where you respond with love. Do you ever feel like a hypocrite when you're singing church songs? In all I do, I honor you, and we're all staring and looking at each other like, <laughs> <laughs> "I love you with all of my heart." Okay. Some, sometimes, I want to. Do you love him? Do you love him more than anybody else? Do you want to love him like that? Like, really? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How hungry are you to know his commandments and do them at any cost, no matter what anybody else thinks, no matter what everybody else wants? And this is what I want. I want to love Jesus and do what he tells me. Gosh, are we there? Remember Chesterton? The Christian life? It's been found difficult and left untried. It's hard. Come on, right? It's hard. We look at it and we're like, it's beautiful and I want it. I think I've tasted it, but it's hard. How do I get to where I know the love of Jesus and I love him and I want to obey him? How does this really happen? Because come on, you could go to a million church services. You can read a lot of the Bible and have it ping off you like a BB to a cement wall. How do you get changed? That's what I'm worried, that's what I'm thinking about. It's difficult, right? But transformation is what we're saved to. He did not save you to leave you as you already were. And don't get me wrong. He accepted you just as you were. But he did not save you to leave you there. He has saved you to change you. Right? That's where you're like, amen, pastor. Can I get one of those? Thank you. All right, cool. Change you. And how many of you think that can happen by willpower? You ever got on the treadmill of self-transformation? You're running and you didn't go anywhere. And you're sweating and you didn't move. Or a self-help book, right? Ten steps to total transformation. What's the only hope for a supernatural transformation in your life? I mean, we're looking for something supernatural. We're looking for something that by definition you can't do by yourself. What's the key to everything we're saved to? Oh, wow. We're in John 14. It's near the end of Jesus' time with his disciples. They've lived together, suffered together, (laughs) spilled water together. That's two out of three Sundays I can't keep from spilling water, folks. I need the Holy Spirit. And of John 14, and, and Jesus is telling him, listen, the cross is coming. I'm leaving. Cross is coming. I'm leaving. And you can imagine, can't you, if you put yourself in his disciples' shoes, wait, what? You're leaving? Um, what do we do now? How do we make it? So they're punched in the gut. Oh, thanks, man, I'm good. It's just a little, appreciate it. Let's give a hand for Neil. Look at that. Thank you, Neil. All right. Next week, I'll have him move the whole thing for me. (laughs) Jesus tells them um, he's leaving, and and they're overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. How how are we going to make it? How's this going to work? And Jesus responds to their need in verse 16, and it's our need as well. I am going to give you everything you need, Jesus is saying. I'm going to give you what you need, and this is the key to the transformation right here. So last week we saw we're saved to the word. This week we're seeing we're saved to the Holy Spirit. Saved to the Holy Spirit. And man, as you're sitting there, will you just pray with me that God will teach us this in a way that's bigger than words? Because I'm so, I'm so hungry for this. Uh, there's so much here, I can't hope to s- unpack all of it. I'm gonna spend most of our time today in verses 15 to 17. See three major things. The nature of the help Jesus has sent us. What kind of help it is? Because the, the point is, I'm gonna help you out. We can't, the disciples are like, we're panicking, can't do it. Jesus says, I'm gonna help you out. I have what you need. We're gonna see the nature of our help. Number two, how he helps us. Number three, how should we respond? The nature of our help, how he helps us, how we can respond. Look at verse 16. I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Okay, we're asking the question, what can possibly accomplish transformation in our lives, and then we realize already it's the wrong question. What's wrong about my question? What can possibly accomplish transformation in our lives? Wrong question. Who? Who? Uh, Informal poll. What do you think? Is the Holy Spirit a person or a force? A lot of Christians today still say force. And maybe if they say person, they mean force. Okay? This is really important. How you view the spirit. Forces get used. I get strong, I have my force, I apply my force, okay? I can't help but think of little Jesus Jedis, right? (laughs) Holy force hammer. But the spirit is talked about like this in some Christian circles. Like, I'm going to use the power of the spirit. Um, he's, if he's a force, you control it. You use it. Now, do people have force? Like, do you have influence as a person? Well, yeah. So there's power there. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a force we channel. It is not an it. It's a he A person. Isn't that different than a force? It's a a, a will, a mind, a heart, an emotion with intentions. A person. He He sent us a person. I love that Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper. That tells you there's at least two. Who's the first helper? Jesus, I'm here, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna teach you, I'm here for all I am, I'm here for you. I'm gonna send you another one. And the language here means, he's, he's just like me. He's just like me. My character, my heart, my strength, everything we love about Jesus in this person, he's coming, he will come. A divine person will come. The, the Bible's super clear that the Holy Spirit is fully and completely personal. More personal than I am. More, he's ultimate personhood here. Uh, Ephesians 4, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't make a force sad. You can grieve the person of the Spirit. Romans 15, you can know his love. Forces don't love. Persons love. And if Jesus has sent you a person, a friend, a help, what does it mean? It means presence. Don't you just love to have someone with you? I mean, there's there's something for for persons. We can just be with one another, not even necessarily do or say something for a moment, but the fact that we are with no, someone with one another is in itself something. Here, There's communication. He listens. He speaks. There's a heart. He cares. There's relationship. There's friendship. You see, Jesus has sent us the divine person, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we can't hope to unpack all that this morning. When you're a new Christian, sometimes you're like, I'm a little f- I'm afraid or embarrassed of this Trinity thing. I don't get it. And you try to do, like, it's like an egg. And, and you're like, more like, no, it's not like an egg. <laughs> but God is deeply personal. And, and you know, the, the more I'm a Christian, the more this is the beauty of it. Why do we need community? We're made in God's image. And what is God? Community. I mean, of all the religions, Christians can honestly say God is love. For everybody else, it's like, what was God doing before he made everything? He was just lonely, (laughs) waiting for creation, somebody to love. No, our God is love. has been forever, always will be. Uh, His name is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They know and love one another, and they're so incredibly uniquely unified. One God, three persons. So Jesus will say, when you make disciples, baptize them in the names, name of the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And this is amazing. Jesus says, I'm going to come to you, to his disciples in this passage. I think there he's talking about the resurrection. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to come back. But then he also says, and the Father and I, we're going to come to you, and it seems to have a broader thing than just the resurrection too. We're going to come to you. And you think, well, how does Jesus come to me? How does the Father come to me? And he says, he says I'm going to manifest myself, which is a Bible word for like prove it, weigh it, you're going to taste it, you're going to experience, I'm going to dump it on you. So I'm going to be so obviously with you, and the Father's going to be with you. How? What, how? Well, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we enjoy the presence of Christ, the reality of the Father. One God, three persons, perfectly unified. He's sending us a person. And look at verse 17. You'll know him. Two things I need you to see. For he what? Dwells with you and will be with you. Add that with verse 16. I'll give you another helper, and he will be with you, how long? Forever. I think part of our problem with this as Christians is we've kind of heard enough of it before to where like, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit's with us. You ever heard of inoculation, you know that idea? Give you a little bit of the disease so you can fight it off. Danger, you know? Get inoculated to Christianity. Oh, I've tried that once. Just enough to where, oh, I'm leaving, i tried. No, really? Are you, are you inoculated to the Holy Spirit? I mean, what if you, tr- try to imagine with me hearing this for, for the first time. I can't, make, I can't make it on my own. And Jesus says, the third person of the Godhead will be so close to you that he's in you and with you, and he'll be there forever. Can you, a, can you have a better friend than the divine person of the Holy Spirit? All right, and all our friends, all our family members, whether on purpose or just because of life happens, right, they, those relationships will end. Is there any relationship you can always count on every moment? The Holy Spirit is in you, with you, forever to help you, faithful and close, never leave you, never abandon you, always there, so close, a breath away, a thought away. Couldn't you stop right there? Wouldn't that be enough to ponder? I mean, to me, this is like one of these like mountaintop Christian things where it's like, I should spend the rest of my life pursuing this. How do I taste and know That I have the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit with me. That's who Jesus has sent you, and He's the key to transformation. He always has been, He always will be. He is the key to transformation. He's the power because He is the person. Let's look now at some of what He does. You see in verse 17, what does Jesus call Him? The Spirit. Of truth. It's so amazing in these chapters. In John, Jesus says, I'm the truth. He also says, God's word is truth. And now he says, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus is the truth, the spirit of truth, the word is truth. How do these play into one another? Look at what Peter writes in Second Peter 1, 19 to 21. I have a slide for you here. 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, Peter says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So we have the word, what should we do to it? Pay attention. (laughs) Dark world, this is the light, all right? Here's a few things we know, verse 20. Knowing, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, Here's why you should trust it, okay? It's not just man-made. In fact, verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were, what? Carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth. He wrote a book. It's called the Bible. Showing us truth. If you're like me, I have a, I've grown up in different kind of circles or traditions of Christianity, and I have heard sometimes, oh, we don't need the Bible, we have the Spirit. And it always kind of made me go, does that, does that bug you? Well, yeah, the Spirit wrote the Bible. It's his book, it's his thoughts, it's his passions. He speaks it, he inspired The Bible, that's why it's light. But one thing is so wonderful about the Holy Spirit, he didn't just inspire the Bible, he inspires people with the Bible. In John chapter three, this Pharisee comes up to Jesus at night, he's embarrassed to meet with him. Oh, we know you're a great teacher. Jesus totally interrupts him and says, if you wanna see the kingdom of God, can you guys finish the phrase? What, what has to happen to you? You must be born again. That's another Christian phrase I've heard so many times. What, what? But it mean, doesn't it mean like a totally new start? Everything you are, everything you have, everything you've done doesn't count for anything at all. You need something totally new. We gotta, we gotta burn the whole thing down and start over. Something, you, have to, you have to have a totally new start to see the kingdom of God which is incredibly challenging for a Pharisee to hear. <laughs> Wait, I have degrees in bible <laughs> I wear all the special clothes. What do you mean I need a new start? I'm the professional in the room. Jesus says, you gotta start, you got a to- totally new start, born again. And then Jesus starts to talk about how that happens. Look at John chapter three, verses five to six. Jesus answered, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, By the way, he's quoting from Ezekiel here, the water and the spirit, I believe that's synonymous. But he says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. How do you get, what is this? he, He later talks about the spirit is like the wind and you can't control it, he comes when he wants. What is this? Well, for many of you, it's already happened. Uh, if you were, especially if you were uh, converted as an adult, do you remember a time in your life where the gospel just seemed like, meh? Somebody told you about Jesus, you encountered the Bible, you're like, hmm, don't care. I love hearing so many of your testimonies. So many of us, we had a growth group the other night, so many of us, we were like, oh, and there was this moment, and God just went, <laughs> And I'm paraphrasing, but we were all like, God messed with me, (laughs) smushed me, beat me up, cleaned my clock. And all of a sudden, I was like, ah, I need Jesus. I don't want the world anymore. I want Jesus. You see, the same spirit who inspired the word has inspired us with the word. That's when you hear the gospel and you go, ah, I need this. And you got reborn. Reborn. The Spirit taking the truth, and what do you want to say, blowing it up in you, making it alive in you, going from just sound that enters the brain and then leaves and leaves no mark, going, be, becoming like a shot to the heart that has you bleeding, changing, soft. The Holy Spirit made you a Christian. He enabled you to be a Christian. When you trusted the gospel, it's because the Spirit had come and made you alive And it still happens today in the Christian life. Look at Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What does that mean? Sent something into your heart, crying. Heart, crying. Doesn't that sound different than like theological fact checking? Checking. Is, is God your Father in Christ? Check, yes or no. Next, yes, yes. Or there's your heart crying. Oh, Abba, Father, what is that? It's the experience of the truth. It's the experience of the truth. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He inspires the truth. The whole world can read it. The whole world's accountable for it, but not the whole world feels it. And then, for God's people, he comes and he turns it on. Father, I love you. I need you. And don't get me wrong, okay, disclaimer, right? If you have the Holy Spirit, does that mean you're riding like you're riding high all the time? No suffering, no sadness, full of love. Well, no, that's not, the, that's not biblical reality, Okay, it's part of, sometimes the spirit helps you endure with patience. Okay, but you do that because you've been changed. Because the word came alive in you. The spirit is the spirit of truth. He teaches the truth and he applies, enables, turns life on the truth. Oh, awesome. Second, he's the paraclete. Let's all say that together. Now's wake-up time in the sermon. So let's all do this one time. Let's say the word were Not parakeet, paraclete. Paraclete, here we go. One, two, three. Paraclete, paraclete. I'm teaching you a new word, okay? Maybe you already knew it. If you read different translations of the Bible, you'll have Jesus saying, I'm gonna send you a comforter. I'm gonna send you a counselor. The ESV says, I'm gonna send you a helper, um, when all the English translations don't know what to do with a word, you know you've run into a word that is greater than what English can handle. So we need to learn the word itself, paraclete. D.A. Carson in his commentary, kind of, it's funny, I think he writes about how the English words just don't really work for us. You know, the comforter, what do you think of when you think of a comforter? A blanket, you know? And if you, if you didn't wake up in time for church, that's where you are, you're the church of the Holy Comforter, you know, (laughs) still sleeping in. It's not enough, right? The Holy Spirit, does he comfort our hearts? Yes, but there's more. Or counselor, and you think of the Holy Spirit finally getting his PhD, ready to listen and draw you out. Or camp counselor or marriage counselor. It's not enough, right? Does he counsel you? Yes. You just, you want more. This is what J.I. Packer says about this word paraclete, uh, his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit. Look at this quote. Packer says, paraclete is a rich word for which there is no adequate English translation since it means by turns, comforter in the sense of strengthener, counselor, helper, supporter, advisor, advocate, ally, friend. It means a lot. Let's just keep the word paraclete because it's better than all the others. Paraclete. In uh, the ancient Greek, the, the word was used for, like, the star lawyer, okay? So you're the defendant, and you have this lawyer who's with you, and he's for you, and he's on your side, and he wins the moment on your behalf. Awesome. That's the Holy Spirit, for you. Three aspects, I think, of the paraclete you need to have, with you, for you, speaking, with you, with you forever, close, for you, for you, not against you, for you, speaking, speaking to you. And here's what he wants to say. He wants to tell you about Jesus. Look at John 16, 14 to 15. Will you read this with me, John 16, 14 to 15? He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, first phrase, what does the Spirit do? He will glorify me, who's talking? Jesus, Jesus. The Spirit is pointing to someone else all the time. Look at Jesus. And he will glorify Jesus, which means he's going to show the beauty of Jesus, magnify Jesus, reveal Jesus, so you'll go, wow, with Jesus. If you've ever had a moment of, oh, wow, with Jesus, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't asking you to look at him all the time. The Holy Spirit wants you to look at Jesus. He will glorify me. Look at what the Spirit does. For he will take what is mine and what? Declare it to you. And then Jesus says, all the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he'll take what is mine, declare it to you. What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's speaking to you of Jesus in a way that changes you, that hits your heart, showing you who Jesus is, showing you what you've done, showing you what you have. Did you hear what Jesus said? All that the Father has is mine. And what does the Father have? Have you checked his portfolio lately? <laughs> Easily summarized. Everything. And more. And Jesus, do you even believe this verse? Do you even believe this? All that the Father has is mine. And we're just, I'm gonna give it to you. Declare it to you. You get to share it. You get to have the, you get to have the Father. Jesus has his Father. We get to have The Father is our Father. We get to have Jesus. We get to have the Spirit. It's ours, and the the Spirit's gonna show you. Have you ever been to an art museum, and there's like a beautiful painting, and maybe the room was dark somehow, and the painting just glowed, and then you saw how the museum was intentional with the the way the light fell on the painting, or there's even... uh, Floodlights of some sort shining on the painting. Now, you know, a floodlight isn't quite right when all your attention goes to the floodlight. (laughs) Can we rework this? What's the floodlight doing? Showing you the painting. Packer says, That's the Holy Spirit. He's showing you the beauty of Jesus and what he's done for you and all its color. Look at our two paracletes. Remember, we have another helper. Check out this verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So I'm totally digging this line right here because I don't know about you. I sin. If, any of you, if anyone does sin, John will earlier say, uh, if you say you don't have any sin, you're just a liar. <laughs> but if anyone does sin, what do we have? We have an advocate, oh, paraclete. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. This is why you pay the big money and come here, because you get words like paraclete and propitiation. Propitiation means it was the sacrifice to take care of all the wrath. So, how, so you sin, right? You sin. What does Jesus do for you? He advocates for you in the court, right? What is your sin? Shouting to the Lord. Remember how God said Cain's sin was telling him something? God said to Cain, the, the blood of your brother is shouting at me from the ground. It's asking me for justice because God is the judge. Your sin asks for justice. I deserve your wrath, oh God, for this. But Jesus shows up as the advocate and the Father has ordained it so, right? And what does Jesus say? Jesus, the righteous, the propitiation. Father, Father, remember? Remember? I lived a perfect life and we gave that to this person and I paid for that sin already on the cross. You've already poured out your wrath on it so it's over. So let's treat them like they've never sinned. That's what Jesus does for us. Our paraclete, our advocate. The beauty of this here is you have a paraclete, if you want to say it like this. You have a heavenly paraclete, Jesus who argues for you before the Father. And you have a paraclete for your heart. Because the Holy Spirit says, oh, come on. Come on, sister. Don't be condemned. Do you remember what Jesus did for you? The Holy Spirit says, Come on, brother, don't give up. Don't give up, don't run. Do you remember what Jesus did for you? We have a paraclete in heaven, a paraclete in our heart, the Spirit in our heart advocating for us based on what Christ has done. Trust Him. So, how how could this be better, right? Transformation, it's hard. The Christian life, it's hard. But do we have help? Do you have help? You've been given the divine person of the Holy Spirit with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. He tells you the truth. He makes the truth come alive in you. He's an advocate on your behalf, pointing you to Jesus, pointing you to the gospel, pointing your heart to trust in Him. So, how do you respond to a paraclete? What do you do if you have one of those? Remember, he's with you, he's for you, and he speaks to you. What do you do with someone who's with you, for you, and speaks to you? I can imagine one thing not to do, and that would be to ignore them. Don't ignore them. Confession, I sometimes live like I don't have the Holy Spirit. Think like I don't have the Holy Spirit. Totally blind to this. Gosh, why why would we want to Live like a friend's not even there. Rely on him. What do you do with a what do you do with a close friend? You rely on him. You lean into him. The best response to a paraclete is to rely. Depend on with full trust or confidence. You know, later we're gonna look at Galatians and we're gonna see how you can't do any of this transformation by the flesh, right? You can't do it in your own strength. It doesn't mean you don't participate. We saw in Philippians, you do participate, but you participate in concert with the Spirit and you rely on him for what you need. And if he's speaking, if he's with you to speak, then what's your response? Listen listen or to use the biblical word for this you meditate you meditate now again is the, is the spirit a person or a force person so that changes does that change how you meditate yes I'm not looking for any eastern gurus right clear your thoughts become one with the force of the universe now totally different kind of meditating here Engaged mind, chewing, pondering, considering. It's not just reading something and flying on past it. It's taking what the Spirit is saying through His Word and swallowing it down, massaging. Okay, you, you want to be a cook? Massage the flavor into the meat. You, you like coffee? Amen. Let the grounds percolate in the water. It changes the water for something normal to something wonderful. (laughs) It's that idea. It's it's exposing your your guts, your mind, your heart, your emotions to what the spirit has for you in the word according to the gospel. There's so many biblical examples of this. Look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63 verse 5. Look what the psalmist says. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Okay, how's the psalmist feeling? Right? Five stars. (laughs) Satisfied. It's a feast. I'm happy. Verse six. When I remember you upon my bed and what? Meditate on you thinking about who you are, and I'm thinking about it again, I'm thinking about what it means, and I'm soaking in it. Verse 7, for you've been my help, in the shadow of your wings I'll sing for joy. His heart is convinced he's under the shadow of God's wings, so he's happy, because he's meditating on the truth of who God is for him. We have the Spirit, and he's our paraclete who's with us for us to speak to us, let's What do you want to say? Let's sit in his presence and listen. And a major way to do that is what the Bible calls meditation. Robert Saucy says this, Meditation is pondering on God's word so that it dominates our mind and heart and becomes the perspective through which we view all of life and the world around us. Have you tasted this? You could read the Bible and be unchanged, right? Forget, doink, what? What? But there have been, I don't know about you, there have been times in my life where I'm struggling with fear or anxiety and a passage, I hold that passage, I think on that passage, I pray out that passage, I'm hanging on to it, and it changes how I can deal with a situation. Some of you think, I can't do this, I don't know how to meditate. (laughs) Robert Saucy also says this, if you know how to worry think about negative things to the point of anxiousness, then you know how to meditate. Bam, okay? (laughs) Bam. (laughs) What is anxiety? Pondering what could go wrong and what that would mean, and now I'm scared to death. I can't go outside. (laughs) You're meditating. That's totally it. You're turning it over. Throw that one out. Meditate on what the Spirit's telling you. And you're like, so am I supposed to look for a vision? No, 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 remember he wrote a book. He wrote a book. Take his book and pray it out. Soak in it. Press it into your heart. Especially the gospel part of the book. Who Jesus is, what he's done for you. Chew on the word be changed. The Christian life is difficult, but we have a helper. We have a helper. The divine person of the Holy Spirit is our what? Paraclete. With us, for us, speaking to us. He transforms us as he amazes us with Jesus, shows us who he is. So what should we do? Rely on him. Meditate on his words. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Son, thank you so much for sending us the Spirit. We're not always very good at this, Father. I pray for each one of us here that we would have a new, just a new growth in what it means to walk by the Spirit, to rely on the Spirit, to trust the Spirit. And, Spirit, we just tell you we, we need you, we want you, we want to listen to you. We want to hear what you have to say about the Lord Jesus. We want to see the gospel uh, in fresh ways, work in us, change us, change our hearts and where we're off, wash our minds, apply your word to us so, like it says, the new covenant, your law written on our hearts. So we, we worship you It's the third person of the Trinity. We thank you that you've been given to us, and we pray that you would... Glorify Jesus Christ in our hearts, Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.